0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Wednesday night. My name is Ray Peters, and I'm your usual Wednesday night host on On Texas Football's live stream. And I'm o- always happy to be joined by the guys in those uh, smaller boxes. Tell you what, Matthew, the producer, you did such a great job. Let's put, put these guys in a bigger box. Let's start with C.J. Vogel on the top. He deserves full screen training look at this guy handsome kids got the cap on (laughs) look at that the hoodie and everything thank you he's got it going on (laughs) and look at this guy mrs is gonna write in and say i want to see full screen rod Babers, and there he is gotta love this guy here great uh, member of dbu back in the day and uh we'll talk to a former uh, assistant coach who you used to work with we'll get to him in a few minutes because a lot of people want to know what's going on with uh, coach akina and his status and there Maybe an update from Arizona on that. We're not quite exactly sure. In fact, I don't think the uh, head coach at Arizona is quite 100% certain, but he thinks he may have a Coach Aquina lined up uh, coaching his Wildcats again next year. But we'll see. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, we got the transfer portal news. A very good cornerback from the uh, national runner-up of Washington Huskies, Jabbar Muhammad, is a, a guy who's now on campus at the University of Texas, checking out the facilities, meeting with the coaches. Meeting some of his potential future teammates. Can we get Jabbar Muhammad? Let's go to C.J. Vogel right now, and he'll give us the latest on what's going on with that uh, potential portal uh, member of our class. Let's see what happens with that. C.J., what do you got?
2: Yeah, Jabbar Muhammad made it to campus this afternoon. Around noon, twelve thirty, right in that range, uh, he arrived on campus and was instantly greeted by uh, Malik Muhammad, who you know we are all familiar with how the you know their family ties go way back. Um, Steve Sarkisian actually took the reins on this one immediately Uh, as as he was on campus. Jabbar Muhammad was kind of shown around campus and shown around through the facility with uh, Sarkisian by his side. That was one of the question marks that we had earlier today and on coffee and football of where Steve Sarkisian would be during his uh, afternoon this, this Wednesday. Well, the answer is right by Jabbar Muhammad uh, and kind of showing him the ranks at the university of Texas. So, Texas has been busy in the portal so far. Six additions to the Texas 2024 roster. Obviously, two of them coming last night with Silas Bowling out of uh, Oregon State and Kendrick Blackshire, the linebacker out of Alabama. So Texas is still busy. They're getting another crack at uh, a big time portal addition as well with the second team All-Pac-12 cornerback on campus this afternoon. Uh, Oregon looking to get him back on campus, as is Alabama, who has a visit lined up for this weekend. Uh, I believe Friday is when that one will really start kicking off and get going for the Tide. So a lot going on for Jabbar Muhammad, and Texas is looking to keep their their good times rolling in the portal because there's a lot of names certainly starting to fly in, and I'm I'm sure we'll cover them uh, as the evening progresses.
1: Hey, uh, Rod, you're an old cornerback. Like, I don't know if you've got an opportunity to uh, look at Jabbar Muhammad's game. If you have, can you share with us what you see with him? Is he one of these tactician guys like you were? Uh baller. What what kind of a player is Jabbar?
0: Uh I think he, he does have a lot of uh technician in his game, right? He's a guy has got really good technique, fundamentals. I mean, Texas got a chance to see him up close and personal. And Texas has one of the better wide receiving cores in all of college football. And Jabbar Muhammad not only held his own, made a lot of plays against Texas. Uh, I think he's a guy that also has a ball hawk in him, makes a lot of plays on the football. If he came to Texas, I mean, he, he'd instantly become one of your, if not your best cover guy, um, potentially on the team, along him and Jade Barron, along with Malik Muhammad. Right? <laughs> it's kind of in the jeans. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's a big time Yeah, that'd be a luxury almost for Texas. I mean, you don't necessarily need a guy like Jabbar Muhammad, but if you get him, uh, and then you got your young corners, Terrence Brooks and Malik Muhammad too, uh, Gavin Holmes as well. I mean, you're talking about that that secondary potentially becoming a strength. I mean, last year it was obviously a weakness. That was a liability for you. You lost essentially the game in the Sugar Bowl because your secondary just couldn't hold up against the best passing attack in the country. If, you know, you add Jabbar Muhammad, add Makubo on top of that, and the infusion of those young DBs, uh, uh, five of them in that recruiting class, I mean, I, I would say uh, with the development, expected development of a Derek Williams and a Malik Muhammad, and then you bring him back, Jade Barron, of course, I can't forget about him. I mean, I would say that that might end up being the strength of the defense. Uh, And and going from the weakness to the strength in one offseason, that would be a hell of an accomplishment uh, for just the talent acquisition and the the roster construction for Texas.
1: Hey, uh, one of the top defensive backs in America, Caleb Downs from Alabama has entered the transfer portal or has announced that he's going to. CJ, I know (laughs) that I heard you talk earlier today about uh, Caleb and where he might end up. Uh, what's uh, the latest that you've heard on Caleb Downs?
2: Yeah, word I got last week after Saban initially retired was Caleb Downs would probably look around in terms of where he would find his next home as a result of Saban obviously no longer being the coach for him at Alabama. I was told around that time, there were only two coaches that Caleb Downs truly trusted to develop him and get him in a position to go to the NFL, and that was Nick Saban, who had committed to and played for this past season under Alabama, and Kirby Smart down at Georgia. So I expect Georgia to be a big-time player in this one. Ohio State is also going to be involved as well. I expect a decision to come down between the two of them. Of course, it would be nice to add a freshman All-American at the safety position once again, continue that talent pool later on uh, for future seasons as well, but I don't see Texas getting – too heavily involved here. I think there's a, a predetermined destination at hand right now for Caleb Williams or Caleb Downs, excuse me. And I, I do believe he's headed down South to Georgia.
1: Mm. Yeah. And his defensive backs coach uh, left for Georgia as well, right? Rock, coach Robinson. So Coach Robinson is down there muscle. at Georgia. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, a, that
2: was a big gift for them.
1: Yeah. And uh, Jeff Carey has a super chat for us here. And uh, obviously – uh, yeah, a lot of folks have been wondering about our defensive lineman uh, situation. And he's, he says we need two of them. Thank you for the super chat, Jeff, by the way. Uh, CJ, any word on what we can do from a defensive line standpoint? I presume we're probably having to wait on getting a new defensive line coach in place.
2: Yeah, um, that's certainly going to help. Wherever Sarkeesian goes out and adds his uh, defensive line coach from, then it will be a, you know, uh, full steam ahead on the defensive line recruiting right now. I actually kind of see it as a positive that Texas has yet to add somebody in this early window. And that might sound crazy, but hear me out because we've talked about what's left at Texas on the defensive line. Well, we know Alfred Collins is going to be there. We know Vernon Broughton is going to be there. Who else? I actually look at it. As if Texas goes into spring football without adding someone just yet on the defensive line, that's going to help speed up the progression and development of the guys behind Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton. We talked about Sadir Mitchell, Vern, uh, uh, Aaron Bryant, Jeray Bloodso. What about Alex January? These are guys that are going to, you know, as a result of not having a new body into that room, get a few more snaps with the ones and the twos. And I think that's very – Uh, impactful for their development obviously spring football is not the end all be all in terms of development and how far these guys will come in terms of uh you know their steps needed to be on the field for 2024 but it's certainly going to help a little bit and right now I think that is something that Texas is I don't want to say in the luxury of having because they would certainly like to have another body in that that defensive line room but for the time being I don't think it's the end of the world so uh Texas will be active in the defensive line room Obviously, they're still looking at some some names from Alabama to see just what ends up happening from them. Uh, if Jim Harbaugh moves on from Michigan, who knows what happens up north as well. And at the end of the day, you know there's another window from April 15th to April 30th where guys can still hop into the portal uh, and not lose a year of eligibility uh, who had not previously transferred in this window. So it's not the end of the world right now for the Texas defensive line. There's still a lot of talent there. It's just about getting them game ready. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is the question mark everybody's kind of waiting on seeing. So until a defensive line coach is hired, you're going to have to be in this little kind of waiting limbo right now.
1: Hmm. Yeah. We have a super chat from a, a gentleman who, who is on these uh, chats frequently, Rob Enfield. And Rob, we're very uh, grateful for your contribution and good luck in uh, Las mm. Vegas this weekend. He said he's going to good Vegas luck, this weekend. He so says, what's going on? And you guys kick and. And so, I think that's a euphemism for another word he wanted to use. But to Rob, we, we really appreciate that. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. I, uh, I, uh, I suspect my internet's been kind of out here, and so I apologize if that's been going on quite a bit here. So, just uh, try to be patient. And, Rod and CJ, if I screw up and disappear, you guys just keep running with the ball. I know you can do it, so I appreciate everybody's patience. It's uh Disappointing when my internet kind of craps out. I don't know what the hell's going on, but uh, I I, I appreciate you guys' patience. Um, Let's talk about Dwayne Aquina a little bit. So, Rod, you know Coach Aquina, of course. He's a uh, longtime defensive backs coach. He uh, worked under Mac. I think I've heard uh, Bobby Burton say multiple times that in the last thirty years, he's always essentially worked in three places: Texas, Arizona, and Stanford. So he doesn't pop around a lot. He was. Helping out in Arizona Arizona with Johnny Manson, uh, at least the last year. I don't know if it's been a couple of years. No, it disappeared. Dwayne uh, coming in. Uh, they want to keep him in Arizona. And uh, I think we have a, a tweet that uh, one of the reporters out in Arizona uh, wrote uh, today. And it's also in some of the stories from the news conference that the new coach, Brent Brennan, uh, mentioned today and coach Brennan says he has a decent commitment from Dwayne Aquina to join the Arizona staff. Decent doesn't mean solidified deal. So no. we're still kind of waiting on the final word on that. Ron, I don't know if you can provide any perspective on what uh, coach is uh, situation is, but uh, let us know what, you know, what you can reveal uh, and also what Dwayne Aquina would bring to any coaching staff.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of people uh, thought that at one point it was a done deal. Um, from my communication, I, that was not the case. Uh, and I do think that was a lean at one point. It was trending toward Texas. Uh, but when other opportunities arise, which I do believe they're at Arizona now, it seems like things have changed. They got a new coach. Coach aquina has got a, a name that carries weight. Um, so I'm not surprised at all. And honestly, I was I thought, you know, Jed Fish may offer him something uh, on his way to Washington, uh, potentially. I mean, I'm just not surprised at all that he's getting an opportunity potentially this quick. I don't know exactly what it is. There have not been details um, uh, really reported about what the new opportunity is, and I don't have any details at all. So I'll tell you that right now. Um, But the communication I had, I I was getting confirmation Mm -hmm. if it was a done deal to Texas, and I never got any confirmation of that. And now I think it is trending the other way because I assume that coach Aquina wanted a reduced role. And that's what the analyst is, uh, right? The analyst is a reduced role. You can't go out and recruit and you're not an on field coach. So there are restrictions on what you, what, you know, what you can do with the team and with the players, but you are essentially a film rat. You get to go in and do a lot of self-scouting, a lot of advanced scouting. And I think for coach Aquina, uh, that wasn't enough. He probably felt like, uh, you know, <laughs> probably felt like he was in a cage, honestly, just sitting in the room and not being able to, to share his thoughts with the players and share his energy with the players. He's one of those guys. He's just, he just um, feeds off the energy of relationships and connections with other people. That's why he's a great recruiter. Uh, that's why he's a great coach. And so I don't know, if, I don't think Texas is going to get him um, because I think Texas, all they can offer is the analyst role. And I I fear if Arizona offers the position coach role in any regard, um, and he can coach, you know, multiple positions, you know, they can go they can go like Texas and make a safety coach and a, a cornerback coach, whatever. Um, you know, I, I do think he'll take that position. Because he does want to recruit still, and I think he still wants to be an on-field coach. And I would just say this what what Texas is missing. I mean, Texas already knows what they're missing, right? It's a guy that's the godfather, one of the godfathers of uh of DBU, one of the architects of the reinvention of DBU. He's a football theorist. Uh, you know, that's I you know, I came up with the term, but he essentially embodied it. Uh he came, I mean, this guy was a coordinator at one point two, so he, he gets into the the schemes of the game. He, he can be a guy that can uh, talk X's and O's into it in a classroom setting, professorial, uh, if you will. So he turned me into a student of the game uh, and he, he does that really well. Uh, taking the game, taking the, the actual game to the classroom element. A lot of coaches can't do that. Well, he does it really well. And I think he made me uh, another term. I use a lot of football investigator uh, being mm. able to pick up on different clues, decipher what a personnel package means for an offense, why they came out in that formation uh, with the different down and distance. What does that tell you about what they're trying to do? Combine that with the film study, the trends and the tendencies. Um, I just, you know, I just, like I said, I, I learned, I, I learned a new side of football that I didn't know really existed. Um, I was, you know, I mean, I was playing the game. I was a player, but I wasn't a student of the game yet. And I became a student of the game with coach again, instead of just being a player of the game. And I think that that's really important. And a lot of guys go through that transformation. um, And, you know, he, I now, because of him, I have a doctorate in the game. A lot of guys, they, you know, you get a master's in football. Some guys, they just got a grad degree and that's okay too. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And some guys, you know, they, they never go to, they never go to the higher levels of, of football education. And ain't nothing wrong with that either. Uh, but I yeah, I I got the I got a, I, I, to me. I think I got the doctorate and Coach Aquino was my professor, my pref, my professor the whole time.
1: Hey, hopefully this question will make it through. What do you know about Johnny Nansen? Um, you know, since we're on the subject of uh, Arizona and football coaches and defensive uh, coaches, and he's obviously yeah. our new co-defensive coordinator and linebacker coach. What have you heard about Johnny?
0: Uh, What I like about him is um, he's actually coached a lot of different positions. Um, I, I study, you know, backgrounds of coaches, try to find out the commonality, what makes them all great. Is there a common denominator here that's linking all these coaches? And I really, it's tough to find one. (laughs) Um, One of the things I did find that I really liked is coaches who have a background in more than one phase of the game. There are three phases, but most coaches, probably, I don't know, 70% of coaches uh, they um, their entire careers, they become experts in one phase of the game. That's their expertise, and they really never venture into another phase. They're on offense, they're on defense, uh, or they're, they're special teams. Um, you know, Johnny Nansen's been on offense and you know, on defense. Uh, you know, he's coached more than one position. I think he's coached, like, running backs, linebackers. Uh, he's coached, you know, D-line. I like that about a background of a coach. I think you have to have expansive knowledge of the game to be able to do that. Um, and I think a guy like that can offer, like I said, <laughs> trying to take, take the, the, take the game from the practice fields and from the game fields, uh, it, you know, it, to the, the, the classroom. I think he's a guy that can help you do that uh, with expanded. Knowledge. It's almost like when a guy can play more than one position, we assume he has high football intellect. And a high football IQ because they 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 do you just take a a high football IQ an expansive uh, knowledge base of the game to be able to switch around and play more than one position I think the same thing to coach um, different positions and to coach in different phases of the game so I love that about him in terms of recruiter I've heard great things about him CJ probably mm-hmm. can tell you more about him as a recruiter I love that he has and Coach Kina does too I love that he has that you know that pacific island uh polynesian the connection to that community that's a really in terms of football i mean the, the hit rate and uh really kind of the per capita numbers on pacific islanders and the polynesian community and, and their <laughs> ability to translate to high level football at the college and the nfl level is is unsurpassed and unprecedented like it's crazy uh and mm. you got to have a genuine authentic connection to the community though they don't they don't like frauds coming in, just trying sure. to to tap into that and take advantage of it. Uh, coach Coach Nansen is that? That's you know what I mean that's that's his identity. That's 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 the world that he's from, uh, that he grew up in. Uh, that's a great connection with a a guy that's a natural recruiter. Anyway, um, I also like the fact that he called plays, and the more guys you have on your staff that have called plays that have been ex head coaches, I love that. I think it just gives you more of uh, of a base of experience for guys who've made the mistakes so maybe you can keep from making similar mistakes, guys who can help you solve problems, Um, guys who can give you options. You know, maybe, you know, you do have to uh, help, help, help help come up with a different game plan and you do need uh, different ideas in the room. These are guys who've been there and done it at different levels. The more ideas you have in the room, the better. You don't need to use all of them, um, but at least you may get to the best idea by having a multitude of them to choose from.
1: CJ, uh, he, Rod just mentioned the recruiting aspect, so clearly that's a big piece of what Johnny Nansen offers, correct?
2: Yeah, he actually used the word that I wanted to hone in on right there, and it's authentic. That's what he you get with Johnny Nansen on the recruiting trail from mm-hmm. what I've heard behind the scenes. He's a guy that relates to families very well, and obviously, as you said, he can speak to just about every type of position on the field as a result of the many different stops that he has had coaching different position groups. Uh, you can see it right away. His players at Arizona were were publicly saying they were not going to enter the portal if Johnny Nansen was retained, you know, yeah. and there's, you know, been some, some push from the, the Arizona community. You obviously saw the hashtags a few nights ago the bring back Nansen, hire Nansen. There's a strong push for that. And I don't think necessarily Rod, you can probably uh, back me up here, but I would, I would argue most times uh, players wouldn't want to play for uh A coach you know that they don't want back and so I think that's something that is very telling in regards to Johnny Nansen Uh, he recruits the poly community very well has great ties out to the west coast obviously he has many stops on the west uh, coast as well so uh, ties go deep out there players like to play for him and I think that's a big part of it and he has a number of uh, experience whether it be calling plays or coaching numerous spots across the defense so uh, a very strong addition this was a guy who by all accounts is taking a step down from where he was in terms of being a play calling defensive coordinator to being a linebacking coach and co DC right now, he won't be the one calling plays, but that goes to show kind of the the train in which coaches are willing to hop on to come coach at Texas under Steve Sarkisian, because they see the players that are coming to join this, uh, this program and also the trajectory in which the program is heading. And I think that's very encouraging on all fronts.
1: Yeah. Great points. I, I, there's something called a super chat you can do. You kind of participate in the uh, the broadcast here, and you can uh, throw us a couple bucks, and it'll get your question right to the top of the line. And Damon Graham is the last one to do that, and Damon, we're very grateful for that. We really appreciate you. And you got a really good question because Texas will probably be signing a tight end out of the portal. If you think so? They could probably use some uh, help for Gunner Helm. And then uh, two pri- uh, primary names that we've been seeing are Night Black out of Alabama, more the uh, guy that's kind of like a Jatavian clone a little bit, guy that can really stretch the field, kind of a lean body type. Again, uh, he can even go catch uh, long balls and uh, yard after catch. We, in fact, saw that when he played against us in uh, week two last year. He got the long touchdown. And Ben Yarosic is a uh, guy that can uh, do perhaps a little bit more inline blocking. Uh, Damon has a question about those guys. He says, which one fits our system the best hmm. rod i don't know if you got a chance to check out these guys and cj i'd like your take on this as well either one of these guys uh kind of work better under the sarkeesian system
0: Mm, that's a good question. Um, I I think that JT Sanders was the most physically athletically gifted tight end that Sark probably ever had in his system. Ever. And I think he was a muse of sorts for Sark because I think Sark expanded um, kind of the, the creative base of plays for his tight end because that guy's a matchup nightmare. And if you go back and look at the numbers, um, and I be mean, Stats War pointed this out, uh, who does a great job on Twitter, Parker Fleming. Um, you you know his word too, CJ. Um, but he he's pointed out that if you go look at the players who shift and move the most, right, the pre-snap motion in college football, that he's like he's in the top five. <laughs> he's like, because he moves a lot. And, and what Sark is doing is Sark is just hunting matchups. So, sorry, just because he'll move him and shift him on a play, but doesn't mean he's going to hunt that matchup on that play. But on that play, he's looking for what re- responsibility, what defender is going to take him. And then he'll use that information for down, you know, the next quarter we'll come out, same formation. I'll know in that coverage, this defender is going to take JT, and that's when we'll go out there and exploit the matchup advantage. I don't know if you have a tight end now that is that well-rounded and that physically gifted Um, that will be that kind of threat. So it will be a money ball situation with your tight ends. Gunnar Helm can do some things really well, and, you know, Juan Davis, whoever you bring in. Now, Sark loves 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. He loves it. Uh, about 40% of 12 personnel his first year, you're probably at about – no, a little bit below thirty percent, maybe uh, like thirty percent, twenty eight percent, something like that. His second year, uh, and that was supplemented by the six O line package. And even this year, I think you're at thirty percent. And then he throws in what they call the Big Twelve package with with that Malik Aguil 6 6-0 line package in there. He says it's the second most important position in his office behind quarterback. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does now without you know JT Sanders being available. Um, I think he he should supplement it with different personnel packages. The pony package with two tailbacks. I think he supplemented with four wide receiver packages. Your ten personnel packages, which he did at Bama when he had those four first round wide receivers. Um, but I I do think twelve personnel for Sark like that's usually his second most you know second favorite personnel package. And I don't know if it'll be as lethal this year without JT. And I don't know if it be lethal. Even if you get those other guys, it won't be as lethal because JT was a unique matchup monster. Sure. Yeah,
2: I'm I'm right there with you. I think whenever you compare the two, there's a little bit more big playability from Nye Black. That's just as a result of being a better athlete, I think, in terms of running and separating from defensive backs. You talk about mismatches. I think Sarkeesian is going that direction. But you also talked about 12 personnel and how Sarkeesian normally tends to lean to that, you know, personnel grouping for his offenses. It really is a you know a strength of Eurisec in the inline blocking. I was just looking at it actually. He spent 60% of his snaps on the end line, 40% in the slot. That's not too far off from what we saw from Amari Niblak, who who is 40% in the slot, 60 uh, yeah, 50% in the inline. So a lot of, you know, flex right there. Oddly enough, Jatavian Sanders was only 20% in the slot. So uh, you won't see a lot of usage from these guys as a true slot kind of tight end, slot wide receiver from the tight end position in this offense all too often. And uh, when the 12 personnel comes, you do see a wing or you do see the the, the – the split formation as well with a tight end on either side. Uh, most times one will be running back and forth on the pre snap motion behind the line of scrimmage uh, as well. So you can go either way. Uh, ben Yuricic, 11 and a half yards per uh, or target down the field. Um, more so, uh, 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 not necessarily the biggest threat vertically down the field. Um, the average distance of target for Amari Nye was around 16 and a half. So it kind of goes to show how Alabama used him in their offense uh, in more of a vertical stretching the field capacity than what you see from Urasetch at Stanford. I think that's just the you know style of offense is more than anything. Uh, but for Jatavian Sanders, he was more in that eleven to twelve range. He had big plays, obviously, whenever Texas would run the deep crossing and the boomerang routes. Uh, but you know, for for this offense, I think you can go with either and not necessarily uh, see too tremendously of a drop off.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, Kevin Jones has a super chat as well, and it's along this thread of thought, uh, Coach Sarkeesian's offensive game plan. Says you may have covered this already, we haven't yet, Kevin, so you're in luck. Seems to me Sarkeesian mm-hmm. wants to go air raid and deep ball with the speed of the wide receivers, running backs, hopefully tight ends. It will confuse the defenses on how to defend against, question marks. So Kevin just wants to know, do you see us with these speedy guys we've added, the bold and the golden bond? and the like, along with uh, John Tay, uh, Wingo coming in, and the other kids that
2: will get a chance to nibble it, uh, DeAndre Moore. Um, what's it going to look like moving forward? Well, I think the speed ball is one thing that you can point to, or the deep ball, and basically just say, you know, that's that's going to improve. You have more options on the field? And I say, yes, of course it should. But I'm also looking at the intermediate routes, in which Texas, you know, had a lot of success with. We talked about Quinny, we were throwing the ball from – You know, anywhere from the five to 20 yard range being one of the best quarterbacks in the country in that that vicinity. You know, that's what he does. Well, that is the range that he feels the most comfortable about uh, throwing the ball in that intermediate phase. I actually, you know, and and we've talked about the Miami Dolphins and their approach to the speed kind of vertical threat, breaking off in in breaking routes. uh, The boomerang routes, the little comebacks or or uh, Washington routes on the outside as well. That's all good and fine. But it's all about your your wide receivers creating separation as a result of being simply just the fastest players on the field. I yeah. think that's what Sarkeesian is trying to get at, and I think that's what you'll see. So, yes, the idea of taking the top off of defense is going to be there for defenses every week. That's something that they're going to have to game plan against. But as a, as a result, we've seen, what, how many highlights from Tyreek Hill this year and where he looks like he's breaking a, a, a post or a go or – Uh, a slot fade for 15 yards and he just stops on a dime and cuts in for a 15 yard crossing route. And it's wide open. I think that's where you'll really start to see the changes in the the Texas offense is in that intermediate phase where they, these guys can catch the ball in space and then see what they can do after the catch more so than just, you know, Hey, let's, let's line up in three by one and run four verts every game or every play. Uh, That's where I kind of lean right now. The, the short, you know, quick behind the line of scrimmage plays will always be there under Sarkisian, but it's the intermediate phase in which I'm really excited about because you have, in my opinion, more explosive playmakers than what Texas had a year ago now infiltrating this lineup.
0: Yep. And Sark is, um, it, it, I would have a quote from Devontae Smith, who talked about the difference between Mike Loxley's offense and Sark's offense. And, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he says it's position fluidity that Mike Loxley's offense had a lot of rigidity about players, uh, you know, playing certain, uh, playing certain positions, certain whether it be the H or the X or the Y, um, and they never really changed positions. There was not a lot of fluidity uh, within that offense. Sark is actually the opposite, right? Sark he wants all of his wide receivers to be able to play different roles and be able to line up in different roles, and um, them essentially learning the concepts of the offense more so than learning. Uh, a position of the offense, and I think that's partly why his receiver rotation is is a little tight because he wants those is, he's putting a lot on those guys' plate in terms of what he wants them to learn. He wants them to be intimately knowledgeable about all of the route concepts within the offense, not just the role of the X and the role of the Z. But I and I so I do think that's why. And we talked about this, CJ. All these wide receivers, man, you don't have the what almost seemed these like specificity of the roles that you had last season, right? X-Man was your speed guy, A.D. Mitchell, your possession guy, J. Witch, your, you know, hybrid that runs a lot of your screens and your underneath stuff, you know, he's the, the tag uh, on the RPO, he's that guy. Everybody seemed to be typecast in a sense last season into their roles and I don't think, think Sark is going to have that this season. I think you're going to see a lot of these guys that are going to be interchangeable almost. And so look at their bills, right? And Sark has a type. He has a type at wide receiver. We know this. And he, I'm going to say he doesn't recruit outside his type. I mean, you go look at all of my exes. You're going to see that's probably a type there. But, hey, there's some blondes and some brunettes. And, you know, they all mix in there. Latino, black, white, it's all in there. But you go, you'll you probably find a trend. You'll go, hey, Rod I, I know what you like. Yeah. Sar- you know, there's lots of wide receivers in that room, but he's got a type. And his type are small is slight speed demons. All right? He wants them fast. And CJ has noted this probably uh, better than anybody. And I saw that tweet. It's a great tweet that we should uh, reference. But these guys all have either top-end track speed or explosive twitchiness on the field. Where they're as quick as they are fast. That's your... You know, Silas Bolden, your Matthew Golden, even Jontae Cook's kind of near because Jontae Cook's not a top end speed guy. But then they got their Isaiah Bond and your, hell, your Ryan Wingo and hell, even Niblet. They're top end speed guys. I think Sarek right now, he wants to blitz opposing teams with speed. And yes, Jaden Blue, this is a weird thing. Xavier Mm -hmm. Worthy was clocked by Real Analytics as the fastest ball carrier in college football last season. And so he, he may be the fastest player in college football. He's definitely the fastest player on this team. And he's gone. And Keelan Robinson is also in that conversation as one of the fastest players in college football. He's gone. But based on the way they're stacking the roster with the elite traits that they're targeting, speed being one of them, it is there's a very good chance that the team is faster than it was last season overall coming back, especially when you consider Jaden Blue. Don't forget about Jaden Blue. He's, he's considered to be one of, if not the fastest running back in the country. He was clocked mm. as real analytics as the fastest running back in the country. You, you think about that red package I talked about with four wide receivers on the field, right? A 10 personnel package, which they did run at Alabama at times because Sark understands when I got four first-round wide receivers, hell, that's a nightmare fuel for any defensive coordinator. I'm going to put those guys out there. You do that with this group, right? Bring that 10 personnel out there and then put Jaden Blue in the backfield with that kind of speed. And then, I mean... I, I think your defense court, most of them will call timeout because they don't have the speed to match up, and they'll probably freak out about whoever is at a matchup disadvantage in that situation. So I think Sark's got something up his sleeve. This isn't deliberate. Something's going on here, Um, and I think, you know, CJ's kind of knows the trend. I've seen the trend. Um, I think you're going to get a different um, offensive vibe. I don't know if it'll be a different offensive identity. It's still Sark's offense, but I think the vibe of the passing game is going to be a lot different than it has been.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with him. there's one more quick thing I wanted to point out, Matt. I sent you that tweet. Hopefully we can get it up here uh, in a second. Um, but there's there's the positionless approach that we keep talking about. And there's one play specifically from Alabama that, you know, the the cameras caught, they, they talked about it. Uh, there's, you know, hopefully we can get it up here. But it, it's something that you don't know who's going to be the guy to attack you on a specific play, whereas mm-hmm. that – wasn't necessarily always the case for Texas, as a result of only having you know an Xavier Worthy who can beat you with his speed and Ad Mitchell on the field who can beat you with his big body and and possession. That that was kind of what you knew was the threat for Texas at a given time. When you talk about those you know big time Alabama wide receivers that went first time uh, first round, there was so much interchangeable ability between them. You had no idea where they were going to attack you from, out of what formation, out of what tendency, on the down and distance, who was going to be the guy. But this is what I wanted to bring up. This is Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith playing uh, rock, paper, scissors with one another as the team is walking out on the, on the field to see who's going to run the, the, the money route, is what they call it. <laughs> who's going to run the money route on a play they, they knew and schemed for to be open? Wow. Obviously, you see who wins. You see who lines up. They talked about it in the post game and it's, I, I believe it was uh Devontae Smith in the post game just basically came out and was like, yeah, we, we, we know this, this route concept. We know mm-hmm. yeah. the entire playbook. We know that we can play whatever. We see this defense lined up, you know, that the, the, the coaching staff called the play that we wanted to play. Sarkeesian sees what he wants. He wants the, the home run play right now. And it's up to us to figure out who's going to go catch it. So I think that's wow. awesome. Yeah, if great. Texas can get to that point, where." You know, guys are on the field literally saying, you know, I'm going to fight you for this this touchdown route because I know what's coming and I know it's going to be open. I think Texas is going to be in a tremendous spot. But that's certainly where I see Sarkeesian and his mind really start, you know, kind of turning right now in terms of what he wants to eventually acquire and, and deploy at Texas.
1: Good stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. In fact, I was about to ask Matthew to put up Damon Graham's comment at 7:35. I don't know if uh, Matthew can go all the way back there, but it was just one word he typed in, and you addressed it. He typed in the word Damon Graham back at 7:30, positionless. So that's Mm -hmm. there it is. So that's you know what we've been talking about, and that that goes for defense too, right, Rod? I mean, you you just don't want to have guys, you know, locked into a old standard, old school position, you know, which you basically in the old days were essentially telling the other team what you were going to do. It was yeah. almost like a gentleman's agreement in football. And then people like <laughs> Hal Mumming and, you know, Mike Leach put everything on their head and said, well, we're going to do this, spread you wide, and you won't know what the hell we're going to do, deal with that. And people couldn't, and they started winning games. So, uh yeah, I, I love yeah. position with in basketball too.
0: Yeah, it is. so
1: you know do what you can hey thunder pup has a uh super chat and thunder pup we appreciate you uh, participating in the show uh coach sarkeesian we're, we're kind of going on a theme here but everybody's excited about our uh, offense and they should be getting wide receivers to be successful with quinn ewers i mean you got a kid here who's you know odds on favorite to essentially yeah. even be a Heisman favorite right plans to set him up for the heisman and another playoff berth in 24 he put question marks there but it's kind of a statement from Thunderpup, Pup. And I think all three of us probably agree with you. Uh, what about that receiver room? Can we keep everybody happy? Um, do you sense that as tight as Sarkeesian's rotation has been in the past, has he probably gained some confidence in Jante and DeAndre, maybe even Niblett, even though he didn't play any last year, um, where those guys can help work in with the transfers? Rod, how are we going to keep uh, – a larger receiver room, uh, happy and uh, fat, and uh, getting their catches.
0: Uh, I uh, Sark's got experience with this, right? I mean, we've we've talked about it. Was it 2019? You got four uh, future first round, round receivers on that roster, and uh, all those guys were able to showcase their ability to the point where the NFL saw enough to draft them in the first round. And uh, those guys seem pretty content uh, with their productivity. Uh, and I love what CJ brought up there. I mean, they were having fun too, right? Uh, you know, out there seeing who was going to end up getting uh, the, the, the big time touchdown route. Uh, so I, I think Sark's got experience on how to do it. These guys also, I mean, they pay attention. Um, they know they're not scared of competition. They shouldn't be. Um, and I think also something that helps you know, is they want to play with Quinn Ewers. That's a great sales pitch, man. They want to play with what may be the best quarterback, returning quarterback in college football. That is the hope. And, you know, the better Quinn Ewers plays and the higher he's drafted, it, everybody wins because that means those wide receivers probably got a lot of production. So they're, they've they been showcased. That can increase their draft stock. I mean, that's Isaiah Bunn literally said it. He said, I'm a business and, you know, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to Texas to in, increase my stock, <laughs> my draft stock. I'm the business. That's why I'm going to Texas. And I think that's a wise decision because uh, Sark wants to be able to recruit other great wide receivers. He wants to be able to recruit five-star quarterbacks like Arch Manning in the future. Not, not, well, there are no other Arch Manning, but you get my point. Celebrity quarterbacks, whatever, five-star quarterbacks. And to do that, you got to showcase them. And that's why, you know, people get upset with Sark for being a little pass happy at times and sometimes uh, getting a little too uh, enthusiastically exotic (laughs) or some people say unnecessarily exotic in some of his plays and looks. But guys, those aesthetically pleasing plays, they're not always just, you know, sometimes they're a message to uh, young recruits, young quarterbacks, Mm. young receivers that that's an offense I want to play in. Uh, that offense looks fun. That offense is not just effective. Man, it looks fun to play. No, no, Sark's offense look fun to play in. That's an easy sales pitch, easy easy recruiting pitch. And part of that is everybody eats. Now, outside of the top four wide receivers, I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of rotation. You ain't going to get, you know, seven, eight guys like Tom Herman's mm-hmm. offense that you know have at least twenty receptions. That ain't happening. That just ain't the way Sark does business. But I do think he'll expand the. The circle of trust a little bit this year. I think you'll get four guys in it. And I, I, you know, I don't know what four guys, but I think you'll get four guys in that circle of trust of those wide receivers this season.
2: Yeah. CJ, what's,
1: what's your take on that?
0: I'm,
2: I'm, a, I'm of the similar, similar belief, you know, and it's one of those things where Texas coming into this season, had they not gone to the port, portal, there would have only been eight returning receptions for seven guys. Wow, And so all of those guys or all of those receptions were coming from Jonte Cook, who we still expect to be, you know, a pretty big part of this offense for 2024. Texas went out and added three guys combined for 221 new receptions coming in. So it's not necessarily that Sarkeesian doesn't have the faith in the guys that they've recruited and they are are looking to develop. It's just, you know, they're just not there yet. You've got to go out and you've got to have, uh, you know, what we talked about, and that's experience and production at every position in the field. And in the age of the portal, there's no excuse not to have that. So I think it's the approach this season, this offseason, and with with the portal and the wide receiving room is go get the guys that will help us bridge to this youth, this youth mm-hmm. movement that we have at the wide receiver spot. This might not have been a, a conversation if Isaiah Nayor came back 100% healthy and was able to stick around for a year or two at at, at Texas. It's probably not that big of a conversation or a topic if he is here fully healthy and able to be contributing on the field. But there's one other thing I wanted to point out, and that's Sarkeesian keeping this wide receiving room happy because that's what, you know, Rod, you – as a DB, you go against wide receivers all the time, and we talk about wide receiving wide wide receivers being divas and you know, throw me the ball, get me the rock, whatever it is. To you know Chad Ochocinco, two guys that I grew up watching, really painting that wide receiving position in that kind of diva light. You know Terrell Owens, another guy in that mix as well. Um, but in that sense, you know, I, I look back to that 2019 Alabama roster that we keep referencing. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs. Uh, There's a fourth one in there I'm missing as well. uh, Jerry Judy. Was Mechie in that too? So I was going to get to Mechie because those are four first-round caliber wide receivers. In 2019, John Mechie had four receptions Hmm. in a year in which his quarterbacks threw for a combined uh, 37 touchdowns and three interceptions. Wow. They combined for almost – you know, 4,200 yards combined, four receptions for John Mechie. And guess where he went in the draft? 44th. So it's not like Sarkeesian doesn't have experience of keeping wide receivers happy. It's just when it's their time, they're going to eat. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any of these guys that we've mentioned as younger underclassmen right now, the young guys where Sarkeesian is looking around his wide receiving room saying, I know it's their time. I know it's ready for them to go on like be on the field. We talk about the circle of trust. I'm not sure they're completely ready to be on the field for 80 snaps, uh 60% of the snaps, whatever it is. I need to go out and get guys to help me bridge that gap for when it is their time. And that's mm-hmm. what I think we're going to see in 2024, moving on to 2025, I don't expect Isaiah Bond to be here. Uh Silas Bolden will not be here. We'll start seeing the Jonte Cooks, the DeAndre Moores, the Ryan Nibblets, and obviously Parker Livingstone. I do think Ryan Wingo will scratch the surface uh, this season as a freshman simply because 6'2 and a 10-6, that's not something that you see very often. So the, t- uh, the five-star you know, kind of reputation will precede itself. The Ryan Wingo, I think he'll scratch the surface a little bit this fall. But it is, again, a waiting game for Sarkeesian in this wide receiving room to get up to speed and get acclimated to being no longer the, the fresh meat on the bone for this texas roster they got to be able to you know walk in with some skin on their on their wall and and basically be you know i'm not the guy to be picked on in this offense
1: Mm -hmm. great great takes and uh speaking of receivers rod i don't know if you were on this uh, episode but that the podcast you sometimes participate on the third and longhorn that's tremendous Congratulations oh, for well. your involvement on that. I really enjoy those. DeAndre Moore is on one of the episodes. I don't know if you
0: were there for that one.
1: I must have talk- missed
0: that one. That's because uh, I yeah. missed that one.
1: But he talks about, he understands he's waiting his turn. And so uh, go check that thing out because he's a great kid. You're going to really be proud he's a Longhorn when you watch him and see what he does with his family food truck and the like. So we got a good one when we signed DeAndre Moore. So we're, we're lucky to have a guy like that represent the university. Um I have a Derek from 743 asked, Rod, you don't need to answer the question specifically, but let's kind of go down the Rod Wright pathway here (laughs) a little bit. Of course, Roderick Wright, the great defensive tackle for the Longhorns back in the championship year of 05, and uh, he's since had a a good career as a a defensive line coach. There's some talk that uh, he might be in the conversation for defensive tackles coach. He's now with the Houston Texans. And so uh, Derek asks uh, Rod, have you talked to Rod Wright this week by any chance? So I don't know if you have, or has anybody heard anything about uh, Roderick Wright? And I know that uh, CJ, you've talked uh, about that with Bobby Burton as well. So I don't know if we've got any scoop or any kind of I- inclination on where the defensive line coach opening is leaning.
0: I've not talked to Rod Wright. Um, I had, you know, I've uh, obviously been, um, obviously met. Rod Wright several times and I've been in contact with him before, but I have not about this particular subject. So I'll admit that okay. I haven't. Yeah. So I know nothing about how he feels about it. He's the assistant D line coach of the Texans. He's doing really well. First year in the NFL ties back to UTSA. That's when I had some contact with Rod Wright was when he was at mm-hmm. UTSA. Um, I have not talked to him uh, other than a congratulatory uh, you know, message since he's been with the Texans, but that's, that's about it. So I don't know anything. Um, CJ might know more than me. CJ's in the know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do think that the uh, the Texas
2: defensive line position uh, job will be going to someone the in the NFL. Rod White's name certainly makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. we talked about the, the former Falcons uh, defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen, as well. He is now in consideration for another NFL job. He's, uh, I believe, it was reported today that he's taking. Uh, interviews with the Jaguars, I want to say, is 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 where things are headed there. So unlikely that he will be a name that Texas pursues as a result of just having NFL coordinating positions available to him at the moment. Just reading the tea leaves, uh, but Rod Wright, you know, should he be the guy? The defensive, t- or the 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 Houston Texans were second in the NFL this year in rush yards uh, per attempt this year. I know that's not always your defensive line making the plays, but your defensive line is the first line of defense in running in the running game. If you're taking the guy that helped build that unit uh, in Houston to being the number two overall rushing defense this year, it's pretty good. I mean, we talked about Chris Jackson and what that uh, Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiving unit looked like last year with no Calvin Ridley, I'd add. I'd argue it had a better year last year than it did this year. I was watching Twitter mm-hmm. yesterday and I saw about a 6-minute uh, uh video of Trevor Lawrence's, you know, close misses in which uh, wide receivers weren't getting 2 feet down. They didn't know where they were. They couldn't, you know, haul in passes by yeah. the the uh what's it called by the the, the out of bounds the sidelines. They they just yeah. couldn't do it. It looked to me like bad coaching. I didn't see that when Trevor Lawrence was leading his team back from a 20-point 20-point uh, deficit in the playoffs, and while the Texans are still, you know, making headways right now, it makes sense that a, uh, a, a a decision for the D-line spot hasn't necessarily been made. If Rod Wright is that guy, that's development. That's what, for me personally, that's what I want to see. The Texans aren't a, a team littered with veterans. They have a lot of young guys. You talk about CJ Stroud in the offense. Well, that defense doesn't have a lot of age either. Will Anderson's really. You know, that, that one guy on the line that you can point to and say, yeah, I know him. Yeah, of course. He was picked number three overall. Aside from that, it's a lot of learning. It's a lot of developing. And that's what that Texans D-line has done this year. Should, again, should it be Rod right? It would be a, a fine choice and selection for me because I know mm-hmm. that the Texas defensive line will continue to develop the way that we saw under Bo Davis. And in the SEC, that's really the most important thing that you can ask for. Trenches, developing, talent, production. Sure. So Probably
1: I'm, learned a thing or two from D'Amico Ryan's over the last year as well. So, oh, no, without a doubt. Yeah. Sure. Hey, Lane Seawright has a super chat for us. And, Lane, you're always on here, and we're we're very grateful for that. Thank you for coming on and, and providing us this super chat. We're very grateful. Big welcome to you. Says so the heavy defensive back emphasis? So, you know, we had great emphasis on wide receivers and defensive backs in the portal. So, does this, and signing, you know, top uh, players like Phil Sami and Black and the like. Is the heavy D.B. emphasis more of a reaction to last year's performance or is Coach Sarkeesian anticipating thematic changes in the SEC with his offense and guys like DeBoer coming in? I think he was doing this before Taylor DeBoer ever signed on with Alabama or Nick Saban was indicating he was uh, quitting. We were uh, leading this way, but I'll let you guys uh, fill in the blanks on this. Uh, What do you think uh, is the reason it was Coach Sarkeesian determined to fix
0: something that uh, seemed to be the, the weak
1: point of the program?
0: Um, I, I think it was something that was in the works already. Um, it just seems like this is, you know, coincidental, but that, that that was your biggest weakness defensively was your past defense. I do think it is related though. I, I believe Texas, I don't believe it. I think we are. We, Texas was ahead of schedule, right? Texas was expected to win the big 12, not compete for a national title this year. So being ahead of schedule also means you hadn't necessarily filled all the holes on the roster yet. You hadn't addressed all the positions yet. You hadn't had enough talent acquisition cycles to do so. I mean, Sark ain't been here that long. This is just year three. So I think because of that, maybe defensive back was one of the last positions that they were looking to overhaul in you know in their old, old kind of roster construction with the team. I mean, look, the, the offense was obviously first. Sark is an offensive guy. His, his offense, he's calling the plays. So he wanted his big humans. He brought X-Man with him. JT Sanders ain't playing DN, playing tight end. And he got his quarterbacks. Right? So they 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 focused on those of the offense early on and got that solidified with a lot of the talent acquisition cycles. Defense, they did it like, I'm sparingly. Right. And they've they've addressed like linebacker. I think you addressed that two recruiting classes ago in that 2023 class. I think you had like, what, five linebackers in that class. You got five DBs in this class, six if you include uh, the Makuba and the transfer portal. Um, you got Colin Simmons, so you got your pass rusher. That's something they had, hadn't really addressed at the edges. You got your young, you know, Ethan Burke and those guys. So they would just get I – think, I think defense had to wait because offense was first because that's Sark's side of the ball. And I think they – and maybe they felt like defensively they had some pieces they could develop. I mean, you look at your Jade Barons, your Jalen Forge, your, you know, your Cole Burns, your Murphys, your Ojemos, your Sweat. Maybe they felt like, man, we can develop these guys on defense so we can wait a couple of acquisition cycles to address it. And I think ultimately – and, you know, you got Anthony Hill, you got your linebacker now. The, the secondary was last on their list. That's my belief. And I think this is the acquisition cycle that they were like, "All right, let's go get them DBs." But that also came back to haunt you in a sense because, you know, that's your biggest weakness now. It was because you hadn't really addressed it, and it's not. I don't think it's Sark's fault. I'm not criticizing them. They hadn't had enough talent acquisition cycles. You only get so many, you know, scholarships and so many uh, open spots where you can bring in guys per cycle. And I just think the DBs had to wait and now they're getting to them DBs, and they're getting the kind that they want. Sure.
2: Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. I actually think, Lane, if if you're talking about fitting your defense to fit a certain schematic approach to the SEC, you'd be doing that up front first and then working backward towards mm-hmm. the secondary as a result. You talk about you know the style of offenses that the SEC play. They're starting to become more like the Big 12. They're starting to open it up vertically down the field a lot more. Uh, Obviously, Jaden Daniels just won the Heisman for, you know, statistics that we have rarely seen in the college ranks uh, this year for LSU. Oklahoma's obviously joining with. Uh, Aside from that, you're looking at teams like Ole Miss, Tennessee, uh, and Georgia, who are really the ones that stretch the field vertically. Everybody else is still kind of figuring out the new age offenses in college football in the SEC, but I think Sarkeesian was, you know, predetermined basically to say, we've got to adjust the secondary. We've got to get more athleticism and speed out there uh, before we get to the sec, because you're going to see a different caliber of wide receiver out there than what I think you will, or have been seeing in the big 12, despite big numbers being thrown up. I think those big numbers would have just magnified and multiplied a little bit more uh, in the sec. So uh, I'm, I'm all for it. I think Sarkeesian and, and that secondary staff did a tremendous job this year of getting great athletes into the fold. And I'm eager to see mm. what they bring to the spring football uh, mm. practice schedule, because that's, again, a, it's a lot of great competition. You know the saying,
0: right? Iron and iron, they just sharpen each other. Yeah. Mm. And one of the things that's interesting to, to add to CJ's point, you know, Texas has been one of the leaders in pressures the last two years. Like in the power five. They've been top 10 in pressures in the last two years. And that hasn't necessarily translated into sacks for them, or it hasn't translated into splash plays. Usually, pressure it it turns it it translates into turnovers, translates into sacks, translates into splash plays. And Texas had some of those, but they haven't had as many. If you look at you know the amount of pressure that they're creating. Especially on that on that front with those you know that deep, deep tackle room, so I think maybe now in terms of from a football theory perspective, maybe they are like CJ saying saying you know what let's build it from the outside. There are two main uh, kind of schools of thought about this: is if you're a defensive coordinator, are you gonna Cause there's not enough resources in the NFL in college. You can build it differently because you got NIL, but in the NFL where you only got the salary cap to work with. So you don't have unlimited resources when you're building a defense. Are you going to, are you going to decide to build it emphasizing pressure and the front? or Are you going to build it emphasizing coverage and the back end? Cause you don't have enough money for both. You got to pick one. And it, 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 and I think in college there's a similar approach happening too. Now your NIL, I guess could be your salary cap, but, it, it just because of recruiting and acquisition cycles, it's hard. It takes you time to build both to be Michigan, to be mm-hmm. what Georgia's got. You know what I mean? To be what you know, maybe Ohio State at one point, Obama. It takes time to build that. Other than that, you're gonna end up having holes in your roster and holes at different positions. So it takes it took Georgia six, it took hell, Michigan what eight, nine years to get there. And I think for Texas, if you're looking at well, how you want to build it until we become Georgia and what they are until we become Michigan and what they are and we don't want to take us long to do that we're ahead of schedule how do we build this defense to be to to help this to help us win games in a complementary fashion to what CJ's talking about and maybe the way to build it is the outside in cuz you kind of you have been a great front 7 squad and you stopped the run and created a lot of pressure but the pressure didn't translate to a lot of stacks and splash plays so i wonder now if the coverage will be emphasized, since that may be the strength, especially if you get a guy like Jabal Muhammad in there. That may end up being the strength for you, and then that coverage will lead to more sacks and more splash plays up front. Mm. It's just, uh, like I said, it, it, it's plenty of ways to skin a cat, but for Texas, I do wonder now if it'll be a different identity of the defense I think the strength might be the back seven instead of the front seven. Mm,
1: good point. Hey, we have about 5-10 minutes on this uh, Wednesday night on Texas Football live stream. We're so glad you're with us. My name is Ray Peters alongside Rod Babers and C.J. Vogel. Still some time to get in a super chat if you'd like to. But, C.J., this is uh, one of the biggest weekends for Texas football recruiting, and we haven't addressed it yet, so let's talk about Junior Day. What can we expect uh, this weekend? Give us some highlights. Uh, What are some uh, of the players uh, you look forward to visiting the campus this weekend?
2: I talked about it this morning. That list went from 77 names last night to about 93 this morning, That's and I think big we big just crossed over 100 as the <laughs> day progressed. I think it's wow. going to be a massive weekend for the Texas staff getting these kids on campus. And, and again, I think with all these guys coming in, it's a star-studded you know, position groups on the offensive line, linebackers pretty deep, defensive back as well. Uh, there's a, a lot of wide receiver talent coming in. It's important to realize what this day is for. And I think it's the the staff to be able to get measurements on a lot of kids, be able to sit down and talk to them, get an idea of who they are as people, get an idea of what their parents are like. Uh, a, a lot of, you know, just very upfront, you know, beginning stage relationship building with these kids. You know, it's an opportunity for them first and foremost to sit down, hear from the players, hear from a, the position coach and see the campus. I don't necessarily think you'll be seeing a lot of, commitments out of this day i obviously could be wrong here but if you go back to see sarkeesian and his history of recruiting cycles at texas you don't see a lot of commitments early on in cycles you know really we're sitting at four right now in the 2025 or 20 yeah 2025 cycle uh in january that's ahead of schedule than every other cycle that we've seen under sarkeesian so putting that out there uh, but there are some big na- big time names coming in. We've talked about Jordan Davis the running back out of Modern Day. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Kelson Johnson, Corey Watson, Byron Washington, uh, John Mills out of, out of San Francisco. Uh, it, it's a loaded group. It's a really exciting group coming in. I'm really eager to see just how the Texas staff approaches this afternoon. And you know, I'm excited to get some updates out here. You know, following the day on the Forty Acres.
1: Yeah, looking forward to that, Rod. Uh, did we have Junior Day uh, back when you were getting recruited by Mac? I know that Mac always loved the Junior Day and <laughs> kind of wrapping things up if he could. He liked
0: to kind I of think, get. The- <laughs> I'm not sure, man. Honestly, I'm so old now. That's a. Good- I know Mac. Yeah, Mac was Mac like having the hay in the barn, right? And Mac yep, loved yep. early commitments. Uh, and I was not. I wasn't good enough to, to even know it. I mean, I didn't get my first scholarship offer. I don't believe I got my first one until my senior year, actually. And so, yeah, man, no junior day for me. I, I wasn't good <laughs> enough as a junior. I got recruited because my best friend, Jerome Sapp, who played for the Indianapolis Colts, uh, went to Notre Dame. Everybody was there to watch him because he was an All-American. A per- he was an All-American as a as a junior. He was an awesome player. I mean, he was unbelievable. And everybody was there to watch him. And I had a, I had a breakout performance one game where everybody came to watch him. I had like... Three touchdowns at a pick six. Oh man, I just balled out of control. I had one of those Parker Livingstone games, man. Just went off. And then uh and Tim Brewster was there. And Tim Brewster was like, oh. oh man, I was here to recruit sap, but I got to have you, dog. I got to have you. Uh so uh. that was really much it. And that was like, I think that was my first game of my senior year, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, man, no junior days for me, but I get it. I would have loved to have showcased my skill at a junior day or just been able to, you know, get in front of the coaches. Do they even work out? Or is it just like hanging out? What do they do? CJ. Sometimes they'll throw on the field. Uh, I know okay. there's
2: a, a clip of Arch Manning throwing deep to Jontae Cook from a few summers ago that went big. I don't think they'll be on the field this weekend. Obviously, it, you know, it's, it's a winter advisory warning throughout yeah. this entire week. But hopefully it's warm enough for us just to stand outside and get some picks and updates afterwards. But uh, it's, a, it's a big opportunity for these kids to go, uh, go get suited up, you know, get the gear on, take some pictures, They'll be able to walk around, talk to the coaches, you know, shake hands, meet mom, uh, meet Sarkeesian and hear from the players as well. in like what they call a little player panel. I know back in the day, uh, having Bijan Robinson out there was a big attraction for everybody. That'll be something I'm kind of curious to see who's Texas and Sarkeesian trots out there, because this past year, obviously, you could go talk to uh, Jonathan Brooks, Jalen Ford, Tavondre Sweat, there were a lot of guys that you knew mm-hmm. were the faces of the Texas football program and guys that you knew were going to be making big-time plays on Saturday to represent the university. Right now, there Wow, is. I don't know. I don't know who yeah. Texas will trot out there. I'm hopeful Kelvin Quinn's Banks. got his uh, game face on and, is, and pretty personable on Saturday because he's
0: really that biggest name you know left for Texas. Kelvin Banks has <laughs> got to be one with Quinn, right? Got to be Kelvin Banks out there. He's a baller. Yeah got to throw him out there. jade has got to be out there. Jade's a baller. You're right, though. It ain't, ain't a lot of proven commodities that, you know, you yeah. tried out there. That's the whole point of this team. That's why this team is interesting because, you know, that the, the, the team last year and even before that, there were a lot of strong personalities on those teams, and we knew those guys, and they took ownership of that team. That was their team. This is kind of – to me, it's kind of Quinn's team. This is Quinn's team. Absolutely. Right. This is, it's exactly. Egg, mm-hmm. It's got to be. If it ain't, maybe that's an issue because it. it, it matter of fact, he should be looking forward, enthusiastic. And I hear he is about taking ownership of his team, because that's what NFL coaches want to see, too. If I'm going to draft you that high, you're going to be the face of my franchise. It is your team. I need you to start acting like it. It's yeah. you. Yeah. I, I
2: kind of see it. We hope that on field performance takes that step. But if that on field leadership takes that step. Mm-hmm. It makes up for any lack of production that we might not see. If te- if Quinn Ewers is walking out there willing his guys to win, let's do it. I'm yeah. in.
1: Hey, in all fairness, though, think about the leap he made from his first year here to last year. I mean, he was oh, yeah. more demonstrative. I mean, he was a completely different guy. I mean, the first year, I mean, quiet kid, you know. But then, yeah, he started, you know, even in the Alabama game, which is week two, he's, you know, getting fired up and, you know, screaming at the fans. And so. I think he showed that jump, and yeah, I yep. I do appreciate that he can do a whole new level coming up this next year. Hey, uh, Jordan Coffee, now Jordan uh, has a super chat for us. We're gonna wrap things up here in just a little bit, but uh, hey, Jordan, I'm gonna pick on you a little bit because Ooh. you have a typo here. You Ooh. said you said county instead of a country, so we better be the best secondary in <laughs> Travis County next year. I'm I'm playing with you, buddy. Thank you so much for the super chat. I know you missed country. Good. So uh, Jabbar Muhammad, he says, we could be the best secondary in the country by the end of the year. And that would be quite a leap coming from uh, where we were. I don't know. Are we going to, so Makuba, development of uh, the Raptor. You got some good young guys uh, coming in. You got Phil Simi, who's one of those young guys, uh, uh, Kobe Black. Um, Again, Jabbar Muhammad. Rod, you're our expert about the DBU. How far off is a coffee from speaking the truth here?
0: Um, would it help to have coach Akina as a part of that? There you go. <laughs> Think tank up there. <laughs> now nah, I'm joking. uh no, no, no. Listen, I, I I I'm on the record for saying Jabbar Muhammad, he comes that that secondary is a strength. There's no question about it. And it may be the strength of the defense, period. If, wow. if Jabbar Muhammad comes, uh, will they be the best secondary in the country? That is a big leap. If that in order for that to happen, Jade Barron wants to be a Thorpe Award. Finalists. Somebody in that secondary mm-hmm. needs to be a Thorpe Award finalist. If I
2: you're the best secondary
0: in the country, right? You're gonna be the best secondary in the country. One of them guys needs to be a finalist, at least a semifinalist for it. Uh, Jade barron has got that kind of upside. He's got to make some splash plays. I think they they need to have a campaign for Jade because it, you can make you can be you can be a Thorpe Award semifinalist or a finalist without you know eye popping stats. Like I didn't have iPoppy stats and I was a semifinalist, you know, and I think, you know, shout out to our man, John Bianca, who's a hall of famer, right? Uh, you know, got to be, he's about to be introduced as a hall of famer, him and Bino Cook, right? Mm. Uh, so shout wow. out to him for that. But they, he's great at creating these narratives, so that the nation, you know, gets to know these players and then you can get, be up for a national award, that kind of stuff. Uh, my narrative was that I was just kind of – I was a shutdown corner. I was just, hey, man, he, ain't on, he don't get a lot of stats. Ain't nobody throwing at him. That's how, that's how cold he is, all right? Ain't nobody catch the ball on my side of the field, not even me. So that's why he ain't got no stats. So uh, I think the narrative for Jade Barron is that he is the most versatile defensive back in the country. They should be moving him around. He should be cross-training. You get Jabal Muhammad, you can have two corners, Muhammad, actually three. I take that back, Muhammad, and you can have Muhammad, (laughs) who could be your lockdown corners. I would actually – I know this sounds crazy. I would would cross-train Terrence Brooks. I would. I talked to his dad. His dad is a, a footwork coach. His dad even said, "Oh man, the, the way I brought the, brought this young man up, he can play in the position in secondary." Yeah. And when he went to when he was initially committed to Ohio State, I believe even he said they committed. I'm, oh, they told me I'm I'm a DB that I can end up playing safety, corner, or nickel. Hmm. He does have that skill set. I start cross training a lot of these guys, and yeah. the new buzzword around there is versatility. I would keep my Muhammad's out there to lock down at the corner, but then I start cross training Jadae Barron. Uh, Terrence Brooks, you know, Makuba, Devil Sweeney says he can play any position in your secondary. I would start cross training guys for that. I really would. And I, I think that would help you. We talked about, you know, the rigidity of roles and responsibilities on defense, giving away coverage responsibilities, giving away what the defense is trying to exploit and what they're trying to do. Uh, and I, that's because the offense, they're picking up on clues based on the alignment of the defender, based on what assignment the defender has. Well, when you have malleability, when you have versatility in that secondary, you can move those guys around they're interchangeable. That, that pre-snap read for that quarterback, it's a truth that tells a lie. Because those guys are moving. Oh, man, I thought he was going to be here because he was lined up there. And it's like, well, no, just because he's lined up there, that doesn't mean that's his responsibility because they got a lot of different guys that can move around and be uh, interchangeable pieces. So I think that's where they should go. I think that's where they might be going anyway. And I think if they go that route, combined with Jabal Muhammad, and then having a Jade Barron or one of those guys, maybe Jabal Muhammad, being a Thorpe Award finalist, you'll be in the conversation for best secondary in the country.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, is uh, Jude changing his jersey number to seven, like we saw in the video? Is he taking Huff's number?
0: Yeah. He's okay. taking help Daddy's. That
1: that's what it looked mm-hmm. like in the video, just confirming.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we have a super chat to wrap things up tonight. William Rosenthal. Thank you, William. Welcome to you, buddy. I know we've been talking about wide receivers with the new additions, but I feel like our run game will be top five in the country. Now, we're losing Ooh, Jonathan yeah. Brooks, so that's a big step. But you know what? And I, I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I love me some Jaden Blue. um and and that's nothing against uh our other cj cj baxter um i just i I know blue's got that home run ability and so i i think that we're seeing the kid that they had uh you know witnessed when he was a junior and they said he was the best running back in the country so i think we're seeing and i i apologize i know my my feed just went out for a second there but yeah i I think that uh blue can be the man I, i know that people think highly of the the freshman Coming in, CJ. What do you think about the running back room?
2: Hey, on paper, it looks like it might be pretty, pretty darn good. You know, you return four to five starters, and and you might be starting, you know, uh, five offensive linemen next year that have starting experience for an you know duration of a season. You know, if you consider Cole Hudson moving to left guard, Hayden Connor potentially battling out at right guard as or right tackle, so. I mean, it's exciting. There's a lot of reason to be excited about that offensive line. Obviously, you got to see the development and progression of the tight end blocking as well, because that's a big part of the Sarkeesian offense. But you talk about C.J. Brooks getting another year in the weight room, another spring under his belt, and then obviously Jaden Blue being who he is and the speed and big playability that he's possessed seemingly every time that he touches the rock. That's encouraging. I think the running game uh, is – set up beautifully to complement what Texas wants to do in the passing game. And Sarkeesian talks about it pretty often. You know, we throw the football to run the football or and vice versa. You know, it's not one or the other. We don't want to be too heavily uh, sided on either side here. But, you know, running the football is always going to be a big part of this offense. And there's a reason why there's been a thousand yard rusher every single year that Sarkeesian has been a play caller. I'm eager to see who takes the reins there. Is it going to be the elder statesman and Jaden Blue? Uh, has he taken the steps necessary to be on the field for three downs at a time? Or is, you know, C.J. Baxter going to win that job out of camp again that we saw just like last year? Let's not forget that. That was a big part of the storyline mm-hmm. conversation heading into 2023. So all in all, a lot to be excited about this running game. I know the focus has been on the receivers and what's going to happen there, but this running game could be very special again.
1: Okay. Guys, I really thank you. Uh, Matthew, can we go to 810 and Steve Hannon's comment to wrap things up? So Steve Hannon, 810 p.m. He said, uh, Ray, you've got an Elvis vibe going on with the white upturned collar. Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to take some cars on the side, put some jingle bells on it. And Rod's going to get to his baby. CJ's got the other commitments to get to, so we've got to wrap this thing up. We've been going for a, more than an hour and 12 minutes now. But we're very grateful for you attending uh, On Texas Football. And uh, with that, uh, Hookham and uh, Elvis has left the building. Good night, everybody. Welcome.
0: See you next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.